Desmond, thanks for being here. Man, pleasure to be here, John. I'm excited, man. Looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So I've known you for about, I think, a year and a half now. Um, I've noticed lately a lot of buzz around town about your product and your company. Um, can you tell the listeners what Battery Exchange is? Yeah, definitely. So we're a rental platform connecting people, businesses, and communities to things and people that matter to the most. And so we actually have product, right, um, to make it easy. It's like the scooters or the bike sharing community that you see around your communities. And what we've done is we built a platform where individuals could rent on-demand portable batteries to charge your cell phone. Mm -hmm. So you can live life charged and then a way and a platform for businesses to interact and engage through our digital screens on our kiosk machine. That's really interesting. Um, when it when you think about the problem, I, I've been out where I start to lose power. And if you think about when I'm visiting, San, or back when we used to visit places, yeah. if I'm in San Francisco or I'm in London or I'm in, in any city where I don't necessarily know my way around and know people, um, I rely on my phone to get in touch yep. with anybody for Uber, for, for literally anything. And so you, I can imagine, you imagine the, uh, you know, the, 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 the pain you feel and yeah. the anxiety that you feel when, you, when you're losing power. So I definitely could see that being a big hit. Um, do you look for events or things where people are going to be there for a long period of time? Or do you think it'll work even for somebody who's stopping by for a quick coffee and just needs a 20-minute recharge? Yeah, um, and I think that's the cool part about our business. Like, we did start in the event space because we said individuals were there for several hours, staying connected, like you mentioned, and needing a convenient charging solution. Because you do have solutions. Like, you got your outlets, mm -hmm. got your locker boxes, but they disconnected individuals from their phones. When I can't tell you how many times I've left my phone with exactly. the bartender and exactly. been like, I got to exactly. remember to check it. And exactly. <laughs> um, but, no, we do have a solution that's also adaptable for, you know, small businesses, large establishments. Um, you know, I can't wait for concerts and, you know, um, you know, stadiums and arenas to open back up. But, you know, bars, restaurants, um, coffee shops, like you mentioned, literally there's the cool part about it is we have various models. So we have a really tall model that I think you've seen the mm -hmm. tall Apollo model and everything is Greek gods. Right. So we got Apollo, Hercules, Iris, Zeus, um, the works. And so we have our Zeus model that's a little bit smaller, could fit on the top of like a um, countertop and stuff. So that's great. and they all have digital screens. And so, you know, the cool part of it is businesses can share content, information, videos with their customers specials, deals, but also third-party advertisers can come in, small businesses, individuals with services. Um, that's what we're seeing even in this, like, COVID environment. Like, small businesses are looking at, like, innovative ways to, like, get out in front of individuals. And so they're utilizing our screens to share their message, share their business, share their service with, you know, our user base. So I'm hearing a lot of different potential revenue models. Where where do you guys think the revenue will come? And, and I understand that you're already driving revenue because it's deployed, and I've yeah. seen it in businesses. But where where do you think is going to be the the mix of revenue? Yeah, the biggest thing for us is the B2B play. So mm -hmm. businesses pretty much pay um, a subscription um, based on the kiosk machine model that they have on a monthly basis, and then they get access to pushing content on the screens, and then we manage the the hardware and just make sure everything's according to plan, you know, on an everyday basis, and we do that remotely. Um, but there is the, <laughs> the advertisement side as well, and then we do plan on getting into the end user side as well um, to, to potentially charge them on a subscription tier. Um, whether it's like them getting access to different promotions or specials or them being able to reserve a battery. Like you think about 
you know, um, you're going to like a big Panthers game. Uh, we'll keep it local. Panthers or like Hornets. And it's just like a bunch of people there, a bunch of people charging. But if you have like a premium subscription, you'll be able to reserve it, you know, and just like how cool would that be? You know, th- different things like that. So Yeah, that would be cool, too, because I'm a maniac when I go see my Washington football team play. My friends literally are waiting at the gate at right. 10 a.m. For, right. for a 4 p.m. game and we're tailgating the whole day. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things I always have to think about is like, do I bring a battery? It'd be, exactly. it'd be yeah. cool to have a solution where you can come out through the parking lot and hey, give me your, you know, here's a battery. You're, oh, yeah, you're a premium member. Yeah, you, yeah. you got it for the day. Yeah, but and honestly, we just want to change the entire landscape of charging now. Like now you have to think about having a battery with you or you have to think about if I get to 20%, what do I do, right? Yeah. We, we like, that's my new thing that I'm starting because, you know, these other sharing economies are all about like the last mile, right? For us, it's like that last 20% mm-hmm. because people have to now make a decision. Do I you know, send out the text or make the, or send an email or whatever it is. Make the Instagram post. Exactly. Whatever. (laughs) Or do I go without, do I run it till it's dead till it's 3% or like, you know, and there's all these decisions that people have to make that could be, you know, on a socially side, not so bad, but there's like safety and security that ties us to our mobile device. And we just don't want anybody to run into any convenience um, or inconvenience. Sorry. And so like, that's what we're kind of creating and kind of changing. So you mentioned five or six different models, all the Greek gods and, and maybe a goddess. Um, what What is the typical number of batteries that you're supplying in yeah. one of these kiosks? So our Apollo is 48 batteries and it has a 43 inch digital screen. And then our second tallest or largest machine is Hercules. It has 24 portable batteries and then 24 inch digital screen. And then our smaller one Zeus um and then the smallest is Iris Um, and so yeah I and just to kind of tell you like where that came from but I've always been um big and like Greek gods and just like Olympics and different things like that but a few years back I read um Shoe Dog by Phil Knight and one of my favorite books I haven't recommended that in a long time but that's one of one of the best startup books for my my money (laughs) yeah I agree and what's cool is you know and we'll talk about like my international experience like some of the things that he did and like went abroad and like did all those things like I did it mm-hmm. so I just really connected with him as a founder and then his love for like Greek gods I started looking into I was like that'd be cool we need some names for our kiosk anyway so that's how it kind of came about I, I like it I think the naming scheme for all sorts of things is always interesting I, I come from an application development world and so whenever we would set up an environment for a client we would set up a bunch of different servers and it was always fun naming the servers. Yep. We don't, we'd pick like names of transformers, the yeah. toys or, you know, things, things like that. I, I think uh, Greek, Greek mythology is as good of a naming scheme as, as you're going to find. Um, so you talked a little bit about it. What were you doing prior to starting battery exchange? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm a graduate of Winston-Salem state. Um, I started my career with Pepsi, um, did that stint for a while. While I was doing that, I started, two companies, um, and actually like got to the point to where I wanted to, um, you know, be full time in this, in mm-hmm. this game. Cause I felt like in order to take a company to that next level, you, you gotta be fully invested. Right. Like, what, what were the first two companies? If you don't mind, one was a logistics company. Um, we were pretty much helping a, uh, so my family's from Jamaica and my, um, aunt is in the oil industry and she just had a very, inefficient way of running the business so we pretty much built a platform to kind of make that efficient um and then the next was a fintech application so similar to like um 
Well, it was just a way for individuals to like um, round up um, money on like okay. a day to day basis um, into like an investment fund, pretty much. And so we were trying to do that in the Caribbean market. Okay. Um, and then honestly, just got to the point to where, you know, I wanted to travel and see the world. And then something that I always wanted to do was um, get an MBA because I felt like going to this next stage of entrepreneurship, that's just something that helps. It looks really good and I can learn a lot and build a network. And so I started looking at opportunities locally and found a, um, a school that had a partnership with a uh, partnership with a school in China. And so I actually my most recent stint experience wise was uh, studying abroad, doing my MBA there. And then I started working for um, a firm there where I helped a lot of later stage um, technology companies um, kind of make that transition to Asia. So I got a lot of access to manufacturing um, deep technology and just like capital raising, like that whole like ecosystem. So, so it sounds like your background though was in largely logistics. I'm guessing yeah. with Pepsi, they yeah. have yeah. huge logistical challenges, yeah. and then you, you you have a startup where you're tackling that that problem, um, and and then it sounds like you you were able to to leverage that when you're in China as well. Um, that, yeah. that, that's awesome. Were you doing anything? with Asian supply chains prior to the MBA experience and the job that you got afterwards or? Yeah. So, um, the job I got was battery exchange. So okay. <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> I started to get a lot of access to, um, just logistics in the manufacturing world, just understanding like mm -hmm. the whole custom deal. And so I would go to like a lot of different factories and just like different products, whether it's hair to, um, you know, personal goods, t t um, electronics. It's all made there. Yeah, it's all made there. And so um, I started to really understand the world. Um, and so I kind of started consulting for for a while for some um, companies out of America that needed that access. And so I started to see the value in that and just kind of building what we call, which is like Guanxi, which is your network. And so that kind of gave me um, opportunities to, to kind of build a, a bigger network. So uh, Nike went the route of Japan, eventually found yeah, the China yeah, religion, yeah, but you went yeah. the China route. Right, so straight straight to it. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you come up with the idea for Battery Exchange? Yeah, um, man, it was that uh, just being, I feel like some of the best products are from founders or individuals that are like inconvenient or like see a problem just like, hey, let's, let, there has to be a better way, right? That's typically how the better companies come about, right? So me and my co-founder, Aubrey, we were, he was in the program as well for the MBA course. Mm -hmm. And we were traveling, we would travel like days sometimes. So we were traveling from like Shanghai to Shenzhen at this time. And we found ourselves, um, my, my cell phone was like 5%. His was like completely dead. And we were just like, I'd laugh. I would cringe. My, my fiance, I'll see her, her power get down to three and it doesn't phase her. But if right. I get down to like 40, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sweating. Right. Anxiety. <laughs> so, uh, low battery anxiety is a real thing, you yeah. know? And so like I had that, we all had that. And like, not only was it, you know, bad as far as just like our device was going, that was our only way home, mm -hmm. you know? And so like we had to utilize like a Uber app, which is called DD over there. Mm -hmm. And we just were so inconvenient. It was just like, man, there has to be a better way. We didn't speak the language. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any family or friends that we could just call on. Like, and, and nobody and had the, a charger. And the translator is on the phone too. Yes, so out of, yes, out of power. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what What's Aubrey's background? Um, so he's uh, more in the marketing business development. Okay. Um, he worked with BT um, and some other marketing agencies as well. 
So he's definitely the the guy behind the brand, I'd say that. Um, and that's something that we've been able to do. Awesome. Was there a single aha moment that you knew you had to do it? Because it sounds like you, you were having some stress mm. at the time. With, I'm, I take it that was on multiple occasions you felt it. But at some point you're like, I'm doing this. Or yeah. did you do a little bit of research? What was that kind of yeah. founding big bang moment for yeah. you? Yeah, I, I think it was a part of that situation. And then before we even knew what customer discovery was, we just started asking people like, how often were you running into this inconvenience and like, how much would you pay? Right. So we did that. Um, and then we started to look as we were like, it was my last semester of school. So I'm looking at America. I'm like looking at the market opportunity. There's like 300 million cell phone users. And we learned like only 15% of those individuals consistently, consistently carry a spare charger with them. So we were just like, Hey, there's a lot of people that are like running into this inconvenience that don't have a convenient solution. So I think that was it as far as like the, the data makes sense. Mm -hmm. We understand it. Enough people told us that they would pay for it. So we just kind of came back and dove into it. So how, how did you go about turning that into a reality? I mean, you, you've, you've mentioned the first couple things that I think of as valid. You were validating that it's yep. a need. You're validating that there's a market for it. You're validating that people would pay for it in a way. When do you start to actually turn that into reality and how does that work? Yeah, we came back and um, that's when I learned about the whole accelerator world. And we got into an earlier one, um, City Startup Labs, local, you know, accelerator for like minority founders. And it was through that it exposed me to understanding like, you know, go to market strategy, like business modeling and like just various things and like taking my MBA experience and, you know, applying that to like the startup world. And so we knew we needed to get a product made. And so like that was like one of the first steps. Um, we had built some really good relationships in China. And so um, we still had a business partner there. And so he was like boots on the ground, able to find us um, several manufacturers actually. And so we would travel back and forth and just like vetting the products. Um, so they would send it, it to us. And then once we finally found our, you know, in the uh, supply that we felt like we would grow with, um, we went back and just told them like, this is exactly how we want it. This is what we want. And then we had like an MVP built and we just threw it out into the market. That's great. And yeah. how much money did you spend in that process to get to that first MVP bill? Yeah, it was a couple thousand. Okay. Um, so not, I, a, not a huge spend. Yeah, not, not, not what it would have been 20 years ago exactly. to try and bring this yeah, type yeah. of solution it, to market. It wasn't crazy, um, but I know a part of that was relationship-based. You know, like we had, like especially uh, like Mr. John, like I built a relationship with him and it was just like, like he trust me, you know, relationships go so much further yeah. and like being boots on the ground, like understanding the language, understanding this, this world that they live in. Um, I think that allowed us to, um, honestly not have to pay what other companies would necessarily have to pay. And like, even to this day, like our cost on a lot of things aren't what it's like, you know, other companies are potentially four times, five times what sure. we're looking at. So. Yeah, it's, I, I think understanding that supply chain is is huge. A friend of mine um, built a very successful business manufacturing women's shoes, mm -hmm. and he had the supply chain nailed yeah. in China. And now any new business that he starts, whenever he has to source anything, he he's, he's got yeah. the boots on the ground to call. He he launched a uh, a line of food trucks and restaurants selling um, acai bowls, and he wanted to do kind of supplements to go with those, and so he ordered this obscure algae powder that he was able to find a very highly wow. lab certified yeah. source in China at a fraction of the cost of what it would have been in America. It's yeah. a real advantage when, yeah, you, when you have that experience yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so getting to that point of the MVP, what surprised you the most along the way? 
one, how hard it is. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that was the biggest thing because, you know, as a as a founder, you just know it's going to work. You know, it, it makes sense. Right. And yeah. so just really understanding, like even where we're at now that we are needing to change the behavior in an essence of what individuals typically do and like pointing out the fact that it's super inefficient and there's there's a better way there's a better solution um i think getting over that hump and then i'll say the biggest thing that i faced um at first was like understanding like how important it was to build a team um you know fortunately i feel like i i i lead as i'm a passionate leader you know and so people you know gravitate towards it but it was just like understanding what we needed who we needed in order to be successful you know, I'm not necessarily like a hardware expert to, um, at that point, you know, sure. like now I am like I know everything about it. But <laughs> then, you know, I, I needed to find individuals that fit certain you know skill sets to be able to, like, get us to the point we're at now. So and, and they all have different motivations. Yep. And even even for an ex- a leader, a natural leader like yourself, it is that's one thing that's difficult is leadership that works for one person doesn't yep. for another. And especially cause you're trying to round out skill sets. You're not saying I need this one thing and stamp yep. it out 20 times. If you were hiring 20 full stack developers, right. they're probably motivated by some of the same things. But when you're talking a hardware expert and then somebody in sales and then somebody that understands supply Completely chain, different. yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so I met you literally months before COVID unfolded. Yeah. Uh, how would you, describe your progress up to that point because i think you were a little further along than mvp at that yeah, point yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah man honestly the 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 red carpet was rolling out like we had um our first uh big convention center we had our first stadium um and we were really thriving a lot in this event space and then it, it faltered you know and like what well, so before covid hits what did you think were your next steps was it go raise money was it it was raise money, but it was also like product market fit in those spaces, mm-hmm. right? And it's yeah. just like continue to kind of scale up. And I felt like we were a little bit closer to raising like big time capital. Yeah. Um, we were and like one of the things that allowed us to, you know, thrive even through COVID was because we were able to raise a little bit of money. We raised 115 grand from like a crowdfunding campaign. Mm-hmm. And it was because we were really intentional on like building a community of like brand loyalty, but also supporters, individuals that just wanted to see us be successful. And so like it was that leveraging that based off of like our previous traction to be able to like, you know, kind of stay afloat and raise capital. So when did you close that $115,000 crowdfunding? It was, round? it was actually like a uh, Q1 of last year. So like early Q1, like right before things actually got serious, you wow. know? So, wow. yeah. So, so you're looking in January, February thinking the world looks great. I'm getting ready to scale. I've got 115 grand that I can deploy. I'm starting to build my team. Um, Talk to me about when you realized COVID was going to be a big deal for you guys. Yeah, so it was actually March, April, where we were, like, we're intentional on a community, right? Like, building individuals, like, finding supporters that support us and, like, you know, reciprocating that. And so we had this big investor showcase virtual summit that, well, it wasn't virtual at the time. It was supposed to be in person. Yeah. So we were doing this big event, and... I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was sometime in March that it was scheduled. And then it was in Charlotte and we're inviting everybody out just to, you know, talk about the success of the crowdfund and talk about our future plans. 
And then we like North Carolina came out with that, um, you know, just the restrictions. And it was yeah. just like, OK, stay at home order. Stay at home order. <laughs> and it was just, like, OK, you know, we'll give it another two weeks. So we said, uh, you know, we'll give it two weeks and then we'll have it on this date. And then, you know, it got serious and more serious. And so we ended up having to like cancel the in-person event. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, did a virtual event. But it was just like that was the moment that I was just like, not only do we have to figure something out, but like time is ticking, you know? On yeah. Us. Well, yeah. And, and clearly events of over, exactly. over five people yeah. are yeah. kind of your bread and butter exactly. for, you, for your business model. So what, what kind of conversations are you and Aubrey having this time or any other close advisors that you have? What, what were the conversations? Was it, this is serious guys. And walk me through kind of what the conclusions you're coming to as you have those conversations. Scary, dark times, yeah. honestly, like it, cause it was just like, you, you think one way and then you literally have to adapt it. Right. And yeah. so at that time, fortunately for us, we were also building this new product that, you know, we talked about the Apollos and the Hercules mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so we hadn't noticed that this was going to be applicable to the business space until we kind of were going through it. And, um, you know, it was just one of the, like, I've pro- I feel like we pride ourselves on resilience and strategic thinking. So, we we leverage press a lot mm-hmm. to you know stay in the top of people's minds just like hey we're still building we're still figuring it out we're doing this um just so that people know that we're still like gaining momentum or still growing and then another thing was really having our team um come in and just like build with us as far as like what's going to be that next step we started to look at different models we brought everybody in our advisory core um just to kind of talk through what opportunities we could um you know do and leverage and then we started to see that businesses were paying like high dollar for charging solutions um that were you know inefficient and ineffective and so we kind of thought that was a lane for us and then it started to make sense as we went through the year even with restricted times, it was just like there was still this like inefficiency. And we knew like obviously the world is going to open up sooner or later, you yeah. know. And so we, honestly, like it was a dark time, but it was also a time for us to plan um, to, to change this approach and, you know, the whole world of pivoting. You yeah. Know? Well, I've, I've interviewed so many people on this podcast where they all of the ones who were successful what I noticed was that number one, they stayed calm and they were honest about what they were seeing. They might've for the first week or two said, Oh, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. But there's always a point in the successful ones where they said, okay, this is real and we have to deal with it. And we need to find where the opportunity is. And you know what was scary? It was like other founder friends of mine, we're like closing shop, you yeah, know? And so yeah. it was just like, am I a crazy one? <laughs> you know, but I also think that it was throughout that time that we really connected again, this community. I'm always say that like we were connected with our community. We started, you know, I was hosting virtual sessions, building our brand, which is like live life charge because throughout this time, it's not only like, yeah, we're powering, um, you know, devices or like, you know, things like that, like we're powering people too. like the brand speaks for itself. That's bigger than just the actual product itself. So we were doing things around like mental health and, um, you know, wellness and, um, you know, even literacy, just all kinds of things that just went to that core essence of if you have these things in place, you're living life charge. Right. And so I like that um, a lot. Like it's more than just charging a battery. It's charging life. It's a lifestyle. It's a brand. Um, and so I think that's what 
helped us um, get a lot of eyes and ears on just like what we were trying to do because we care about the people. We care about, you know, our brand being seen as something that like motivates people to be at their best because if you don't have a charged phone, you, you can't connect, right? And yep. so you can't be at your best. But the same with these other elements is just like, if you're you, if you don't have these intact, you're you're not your ultimate um, efficiency. So, yeah. so how would you say your strategy shifted from? It sounds like from February to April was the strategy. Let's build what we've got, build the community, or was there more to the strategy for you know, when you were thinking about what's 2020 going to be for us? For us, it was um, development. Actually, like even though this whole brand thing was, um, we had enough runway for the year. Like we we. We were thin. We spread thin, but, you know, we had enough runway to, to build out the product. Um, then we had to be intentional on, you know, showcasing the product um, and then, you know, building out the mobile app and everything like that. So we just set milestones and we were just like, regardless of not being able to test it out or like not being able to like really put it in people's hands, we knew what we wanted. We had a vision on what we needed to build. So we just kind of stuck to that. And honestly, that was a time where I leaned on my team the most because, you know, I think, you know, I had a son during this time. Mm -hmm. So my life had completely changed and I had to grow as a leader and understand not even just delegating, just like trusting people. Like when he was born in August, we were mid development of that. What, what's his birthday? I'm August 10th. Oh, really? So. Oh, he's the fourth. He's <laughs> okay, the fourth. Cool. So, yeah, he's right around that. He's a Leo. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good dude. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So it's just like I, I kind of grew in that leadership. And then, you know, my team was able to step up and just stick to where we needed to be because we knew that. One, again, we went back to customer discovery, like businesses were attracted to this value add that we could bring, right? Increasing foot traffic, um, you know, increasing transaction size, like all these different data points that we were able to kind of cultivate and pull. And so we were just like, man, we got to we got to build it. We got to figure it out. And so well, you probably can demonstrate that people stay longer if their phone yeah. is charged because I'm exactly. going to leave. If I get to three percent, I have to leave. Exactly. I have no choice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that, that, that's really interesting. So second, third, fourth quarter of last year, it sounds like the, the milestones you hit are you get you get the new devices built mm -hmm. or designed or yeah. whatever, you know, whatever. And the mobile that, app. And, and the then mobile the app. mobile app. Yeah. And, and really understanding the business model, yeah. right? Like how we were going to, you know, market to these businesses that we hadn't really spent time on in the past. You know, it was really the end user. Um, and it was a lot of figuring it out. It was a lot of like uh, – you know, finding individuals in our network. That's why the crowdfund was so advantageous because there were like consultants and different individuals in those spaces that we could lean on and do grudge sessions, whiteboard sessions, and just like walking through what makes sense for us in these next, you know, few months. So that's great. So wh where would you say your focus is today? Yeah. Um, fortunately, right. Things are, you know, opening back up a little bit. Um, so it's just, uh, brand identity, especially in the Charlotte, um, region. Um, we have a pipeline. Our goal is to have 80 kiosk machines placed by the end of this year. Um, 80. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly. And you know, it's, it's the chicken and the egg. It's like the demand is there. Like it's just, you know, the, the infrastructure to be able to fulfill those contracts for enterprises and small businesses now. And so that's what we're kind of figuring on now. But, um, yeah, placements, uh, education, mm -hmm. right. Not only for the end user, but the, the customer itself, like the business, like 
what's the value of battery exchange and like, what can I learn? What can I better, how can I better communicate to my customer? Um, you know, what are the experiences of my customers now? And so like, that's going to be huge. And like our ability to scale to other markets and just like really understanding our value on both sides. What, um, so, so that sounds like all very operational and, and sales focused, which is great. Are, are, what are you focused on financially these days? Yeah. Um, so a fundraise, well, revenue, right. Mm-hmm. And increasing the MRR, um, mm-hmm. you know, each and every month we're definitely seeing increase because we're getting new locations, right. Yeah. It's more money coming in, but, um, you know, uh, capital raising, um, we're, you know, currently raising capital right now. And, you know, that's going to give us, you know, some really good runway ability to fulfill these contracts. And so um, I'm really, really looking forward to closing that over the next few months to be able to just give us the. the but you'll be uh, you'll be back in fundraising right, six months I later. Know. So yeah, don't, be yeah. too, don't look too. Far right, 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 right. <laughs> but I, I'm kind of under and like that's the, the 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 growth that I feel like I've even had to have is just like, obviously, that's like a priority, right? Yeah. Like everything is capital. To, you know, to me, and especially in a manufacturing exactly. business, like mm-hmm. you're raising capital is just a, a becomes a full-time yeah, job. Yeah, like it, yeah. it, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll be, you'll get comfortable after this round. And then all of a sudden you're going to sell some big deal and you're going to be like, Oh shit, right, <laughs> I, right. got, I got working capital requirements now yeah. and nobody's going to lend me money. So yeah, it, yeah. it, uh, I've, I've been in that, in, in that boat before, but it, to, to me, it just becomes a mindset, and the more often you do it, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. I had Maggie Williams from Skipper or Skip Town on here recently, and you know she raised two rounds of equity funding, and then did a, a debt round to yeah. fund Skip Town. And every build they do, they're going to have to go raise yeah. money because you got to put up the money to build these beautiful facilities. Yep. And yep. It, it it was interesting to see just how she's matured and built the confidence in the process and just really understands how how it works so yeah and i mean i know a little bit about her but i know she also has a really good team yeah and so that's what i'm focused on as well because if my thing is like efficiency and bandwidth so like my team now knows what i need to focus on and like i'm really intentional on breaking down what everybody needs to know and like those type of processes have to be like as we scale it has to be like you know intentional so Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not going to do it by yourself or, or even with a great partner like Aubrey. Right, right, it's, yeah. it, it takes so much more. To build anything meaningful, you have to you really have to build that team. How, how have you gone about building the team to date? Yeah, um, a, a lot of it has been putting myself in spaces where um, individuals are, like, looking to be a part of a team. So I've been a part of, like, a bunch of accelerators, um, found a few individuals in that space. Um, honestly... Even when we were in the event space, um, you know, I used to be a part of like everything, right? Hands on. But I would meet a lot of individuals that had really good insight on the company. And so like I take those conversations and I build off of them and I I figure out individual skill sets. So I've done that. Um, But I, I feel like I'm really intentional on network and relationships. So I could always leverage individuals within my network to be a part of my team or you know, I always feel like you're one or two people away from whoever you need anyway. So sharing Especially in what, a small market like Charlotte. Exactly. Yeah. So sharing it with the community and letting them know what, what I'm kind of looking for has been super helpful as well. And then we also, um, we got a pretty cool like uh, um, internship program that we're running with like HBCUs, especially 
um, and just like cultivating them to to be hopefully able to work with us like yeah. in the future type of thing. So. so is that like the like is Johnson C Smith one that you're working with here locally? So we we started we would like to and if and there we, we had great luck with them at gotcha. level by the way. It was, yeah. they really yeah. do have some fantastic people yeah, so, over there. But we started with um, Winston Stone State yeah. mm, where I graduated in A and T, um, and then Johnson C Smith is next on the radar actually. Uh, used to run track in college. So I have a good relationship with like just that athletic department and they've connected me with, um, Tarek, uh, Tarek. Yeah. He's like over the entrepreneurial center over there. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So y- y- you hinted at this, but how do you think about advisors and other extended team members? So you're building the team and people that are working in the and partners and that sort of thing. But how do you think about advisors and I call them extended team members, people who may not be on your payroll, but they're part of the team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always intentional in like industry, right? So, you know, we definitely have individuals over like hardware, software, um, sales, you know, capital raising, all these various elements, strategic partnerships. Um, but one of the things that I have done over the past few years is when I meet individuals that I build a relationship or rapport with, like I figure out what they're good at or yeah. what their thing is, you know? And so, you know, when I'm in a rut and I just can't figure it out, whether it's three in the morning or like, you know, two in the afternoon, I kind of have an understanding of the individuals that I could reach out to, to, to get some insight about this particular area. And so I kind of keep like a Rolodex uh, of that, but you know, we do have our core advisors um that we meet with once a week every two weeks um and then we also leverage communities like the innovate charlottes of the world mm-hmm. um and that's been super helpful so we we have those set advisors and then i have my my own mentors and advisors that i go to as well and then i also have individuals that are in the spaces that i'm in um or when i want to get to like big time like Founders that have like really, really done it, and like I brought them as advisors as well. So it's a little. Yeah, I was bit trying to remember how you and I met. I don't even remember. Someone connected us. Someone. I was trying to actually think about that, but it was just like the Charlotte ecosystem. It was just like this. Oh, you know what? It was. Um, it was it Holly at the um at the the city Up of in Charlotte. Davidson or no Holly at the city of Charlotte. Or, I'm looking through my um emails it, it, right now. I, I want to say it was somebody from because I, I think. I think her name was Holly, but she worked with like the the city of Charlotte. And I think she connected us because, yeah, you're just your involvement in the startup world. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, I yeah. could I could not remember. I, uh, <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. I mean, so. I, mean I remember sitting down in the uh, in the WeWork and talking to you and, yeah. and just the question, the questions you asked. And this is for any young on budding entrepreneur re- reaching out to people like uh, I think it, I think your approach was really good. You had. Hey, look, these are the five or six things that I want to ask you. And I remember thinking, God, this kid already like knows what he wants from me. That's so respectful of my time compared to some other people who have, you know, (laughs) other approaches. Um, Would you say that that was something you instinctively understood how how to approach people like like that um, through introductions like that? Or is it something that you was it something that you built over time? Would you say I say built over time, but relationships and valuing people has always been top of mind. Like my parents grew me up like that. And like now my motto is like, you know, give more value than you expect to receive and you'll never be without. So like when you do that relationships like this come about, but I am serious when I get like the access to relationships. Um, But I also think that um, 
I've always been like an old soul type of thing. Not calling you old, but <laughs> oh, I am. It's okay. Right. Just, <laughs> I got just the gray hairs to prove it. <laughs> yeah, just like growing up, um, you know, I always had like friends or like mentors that were a lot older mm-hmm. that would shine light and like make me think. You know, when I when I do things or when I ask questions. So I feel like that has cultivated to me as like a founder, and so that's why I build relationships like this. That's awesome. Well, look, I you know I've had very important people in this community reach out to me on your behalf, so you're doing something right for Appreciate sure. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the the Charlotte community has been big to me, and mm-hmm. you know I'm like wanting to make sure that like I could be at my best self, so that I could lead the way for like other entrepreneurs that you know may look like me or mm-hmm. like come from where I come from in order to like you know figure out how to navigate throughout this space well and and that's interesting so I had um Sean Tolliver and, and and Kaya on from Canada Tracks and they talked about obviously they're minority founders and they talked about some challenges that that, that they faced there were also some some opportunities that Bobby Robinson from IntelliDoc highlighted but what what has your experience been as a as a minority founder yeah. Um, I mean, how much time we got, you know, like <laughs> whatever you need, yeah, I know, it, I know it needs to it's, be talked about. Right, so right. <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy because, so I like ran track all the way through college. Right. So mm-hmm. I always use this analogy. Like we're, we're all running the same race. Like I ran 800, right. Two laps. Ooh, that's a brutal one. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like a sprint now, but like, you know, the, the founder world that I live in being a minority founder is like everybody stepping on the line. And like, I just have added weight. Right. Like try running an 800 meter race with like a whole bunch of good athletes and you have like 20 pound weights on you, you know, like that's just and like the weight in the startup world is the relationships that I have to like fight hard to get that Mm -hmm. are like kind of given to other individuals. Mm -hmm. And I think another part of that is, you know, this whole pitch environment is like it's already brutal enough mm-hmm. and then like coming in as like an african-american founder you can feel the weight mm-hmm. the, the the questions is just like where does he come from is he good enough like mm-hmm. all these different variables but again i'm running the same race than this like caucasian founder that like Duke grad, Carolina, you know, all these different things that well, it, the, 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 Sean made a really good example made a really good point to me that i had never considered he said he said, John, everybody would tell me to raise a friends and family around. He's like, my friends and family are broke. There's yeah. no way I'm going to ask them for money. Yeah. Like, I can't. Yeah. Like, I, So you're starting from a very different place. Yeah. You're, you're on a racing block that's 200 meters behind if exactly. you don't have friends yeah. and family. Because it, I, you know, call it privilege, call it whatever you want. But for me, coming up to go raise a $100,000 friends and family round wasn't much it, yeah, it just yeah. wasn't even yeah. something you think about yeah. it's like yeah people will people will find five or ten grand exactly. to give you but that wasn't yeah. his experience yeah. So, yeah and like my family's like i'm a like immigrant family like from jamaica i'm a first generation american so like not only like n- it's hard in the black community mm-hmm. but it's harder <laughs> being an immigrant i think there's yeah. a lot of immigrants that have been like successful obviously but they're, they have to figure out a way. One of the things that it's funny, this is like one of my favorite podcasts with like how I built this, but it's uh-huh. just like, you always hear the story. Yeah, my uncle had 90K just laying around. So I start like, if I had 50K to start, 20K to start out, you know? And so, yep. and that's why I feel really good. And I just know that we're on the right trajectory with what we even did in the crowdfunding campaign, like mm-hmm. we raised 115 grand, which is not typical from our community, not necessarily like like my like 
my family, immediate or whatever, but individuals from like my fraternity or like our university and like spaces like that. But like 85% of those individuals were African-Americans. And granted, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a lot of $5,000 checks or anything. It was like yeah. a lot more, 250 But yeah. for us, we had to be intentional to cultivate this idea of investing in the startup space while it's legal, right? Because, you know, typically... Yep. These communities have been, you know, not able to to touch this opportunity. And that's why, again, wealth building opportunities. And so, like, we were, of course, like, getting investors, but we were also, like, building this, like, investor community, which was really cool to me. But, I mean, like, honestly, and, you know, transparent conversation, but I even felt like even in the region that I'm in, the traction and the things that we've done, I think a lot of it as far as like being undercapitalized mm-hmm. is because I'm a minority founder. It's like, I see individuals raising money. I'm just like, man, they haven't even done yeah. half of what I've done or they don't have the, you know, and all these different things, but I can't, you know, I can't use that as an excuse. Um, like people now see me as like a voice in the community and an entrepreneur that's like on the, you know, the come up or whatever. And it's just like, dang, like I wish it was just easier, but it's not, it's not. And, 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 the advice I would give you, which it's easy coming from where I'm sitting to say this, but I do think that adversity that doesn't kill you makes you stronger, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's seasoning and it, it's going to serve you well in the future. But I also would encourage you, and I've already heard you talk about this earlier in the show, don't forget that lesson and pay it forward mm-hmm. when 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 you've had the big exit right. <laughs> and remember the struggle that the others yeah. are going through who do look like you and, and, and support them for sure yeah. because it's it, it, it isn't it isn't fair, but it is encouraging to me to see that there are, if I compare now to five years ago, the number of minority and women owned businesses that are, that are coming up and that are, are, are figuring out how to find their opportunities. Women, women face a very similar yeah. challenge. It's, I, I forget there was a famous study where the, the nature of questions to men and women, these oh, are both yeah. white men and white yeah. women. So it's no yeah. different from a race perspective. But the questions that were asked of the women were much more about how do you deal with pain and how yeah. do you, or how do you deal with, with rough times as opposed to how do you go and grow. And that's just that bias makes it completely unfair to raise money. But it's, it, it feels like there is some progress. And if we keep making progress, even if it's slow, eventually we, yeah. we, we fix these inequities for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think we're on the right track um, over the last few years. I've seen progress. Um, you know, one of the things I even realized is that not only are we like black tech founders we're like unicorns even in this like product hardware space so like first of all there's black white yellow there's not a lot of people in this space period let alone like being african-american and so that's why you know we're super intentional and like sharing like we had a really big when events were a thing we had this big um event at winston-salem state um it was homecoming i think it was 2019 just exposing I think we had like 500 students there which was big during homecoming time Mm -hmm. and um just exposing them that this can this can be possible like two african-americans with no family or friends could be in china and figure out a business come back while finding a manufacturer (laughs) and like build this company build a product build a mobile all these different things and so um, the more and more we can do that, like you said, like, of course, I would want to exit to really showcase, but the more <laughs> yeah. and more we could be intentional and in, like sharing this with our communities, the more and more 
entrepreneurs that look like me will yeah. come about. Well, I, I think keeping that mentality will serve you well. I think that even when you have success, I think keep a chip on your shoulder about yeah. that would be my advice because a chip on your shoulder serves you well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, and, and, and having something to prove and something and, and an audience that you want to take care of, I think that those are very, very good motivators for, mm-hmm. for what it's worth. So you, you mentioned uh, the city, I can't remember the name of it, the incubator for, for oh, minority, City Startup Labs. City yeah. Startup Labs. Are there any other resources that you've found helpful that are specific to minorities? Yeah, um, I think now there's a lot more um, grant opportunities and mm-hmm. like even the pitch circuit now. Um, I will say that there's starting to be more intentional uh, pitch funding opportunities for like minority companies. So like I think um, some of the communities that I connect with are like HBC VC, right, which is a nationwide community of HBU students and graduates that they help cultivate and trying to build capital. So that's a community. I'll link to them in the show notes. I'm taking a yep. few notes here. Valence community is another um, one. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if you know uh, Sherelle Dorsey at the plug. She used to be, she used to run uh, uh, Black Tech Charlotte here in Charlotte. I've, I've read about her. I've, okay, I've okay. never met her. Yeah. But yeah. She runs a whole publication that's really, really unique with. What's that publication um, called? The plug plug and cool. it's just really highlighting just the tech space and especially like black opportunity well black black founder opportunities or just like showcasing the highlights of companies that are like individuals that look like me that are like doing it right and yeah. like moving and shaking and just encouraging to the community so it's not like everything is bad like you know what um social media or like yep. uh the news kind of tells us and stuff so you, you mentioned going out and thinking about fundraising now, and, and you've thought about it before, but obviously you, you had the funding from the crowdsource and you, I won't say put your plans on hold, but COVID yeah. changed that a little yeah. bit, right? Like the, the right timing for that. But what do you think the investors you've talked to don't understand about minority-owned companies? And we've talked about it. My, women and minorities are dr- dramatically underrepresented in angel and VC oh. investing. So one, investments are about relationship, right? Our investors, even like the ones on the table, relationships built over time. And I feel like investors forget that if you're human and genuine, you can build a relationship with almost anybody. And what's unfortunate is that because of a lot of the businesses that come out of these communities they're not like the stereotypical like just you know tech founder harvard grad engineer like it's not that but there's a whole lot of money (laughs) billions of dollars that can be manifested with companies just like a little investment here magic johnson has proved this he made himself a billionaire after i mean obviously he had right right he had a good start but (laughs) (laughs) he had a good start but he made a lot with it i remember bringing starbucks to to Mm. to his neighborhoods you know what i mean like he he really understood like how do you make money doing doing this and i think i think you're on to something yeah and i feel like they just fear that it's gonna be a harder way to connect with these founders because again it's relationship but it's not like we're regular people, you know, like I even like there's this uncomfortability that can just be alleviated by just stepping outside and just saying, hey, I just want to know you as a person. And then let's talk about business. And I feel like if more investors would take that approach, they're missing out on like crazy, even yeah. like the founders that I'm like starting to get exposed to. I'm like, man, like y'all are working on some cool things. 
like I want to connect you with this individual like or that and so I yep. think that's a miss so how how did you come to Charlotte you I don't think you were born here right yeah I wasn't right right so um crazy enough so I ran track all the way through college and um I grew up in New York um so the Bronx and I feel like I have the best of both worlds because yeah Yankees fan I am a Yankees fan. Go Yankees. Okay, All yes. Right. I wasn't sure. I just talked to somebody, and he was a Red Sox fan. And oh, I was just like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't talk to him again. Right. <laughs> but um, I grew up in, you know, the Bronx um, and just really understood the the grind, the hustle and bustle. But I also understood, like, culture and relationships. And then um, literally I was coming off of, like, this big, big win from Philadelphia and then my parents picked me up and said, hey, we're going to North Carolina for a visit. And they just came down here and fell in love with the... Was that Winston-Salem? Or no, no. We or came straight to Charlotte. Came yeah, to Charlotte. Straight okay. to Charlotte. And, so, then you, and then you applied to Winston-Salem. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I did high school here and a little bit of middle school as okay. well. So well, Not that I know the high school is great, but what, what high school did you uh, go to? It's Vance High School okay. in the university area. Okay. Yeah, Charlotte. I'm, I've, I've not heard of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, though. I, I moved down here when I was 28 years yeah, old. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. A little bit different. Yeah. But it's a pretty popular school i think we won states in football like a year ago or two years ago so oh yeah, wow yeah, very yeah. cool very cool so so you go from um you 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 move to charlotte you go to high school here you go to college not far away what's yeah. winston-salem state an hour and a half about an hour and a half yeah, yeah yeah um and then does pepsi bring you back to charlotte or yeah yeah so i um i was a student athlete all four years uh captain last two years and then I just started um, interning, <laughs> like, you know, not not the, I had, like, internships, but I wouldn't even say interning. I was job shadowing. Like, my last two years, mm-hmm. I would, like, I was the guy that when speakers would come, I would, like, go talk to them and, like, figure out if I could job shadow them. So I started to get exposure to all these different worlds, and Pepsi and some other companies came on campus, and they had uh, management training programs and leadership development programs, and I kind of knew I was always going to get into entrepreneurship. So I was just like, what's going to give me the most exposure to all facets of business? And so got through Pepsi, went through like 18 months and traveled all through like the region. Mm -hmm. And then there was this opportunity. I built this um, really unique uh, relationship. One of one of our uh, like, um, uh, what was his divisional vice presidents, matter of fact, and they were buying Charlotte as a region. Um, and they said, Hey, new region, new market for our type of um, business. Why don't you come and like help it get off the ground type of thing. And so I was just like, why not? And I was a part of the like acquisition team because we were like an independent bottler. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of like a different dynamic. And so I was a part of like revitalizing Charlotte and so that's what brought me back here and then I just fell in love with the city again because when I was here I was you know high school it's just different yeah and then now I saw you know even what we were talking about the like the south ends Mm -hmm. the notas and like these areas starting to really be like rambunctious with millennials I was just like man this is where I need to be at there's an energy here you feel it I, I came here in 2004 late 2004 started traveling and moved here in 05 okay. and I, I could just feel an energy yeah. uh, here that that is it, it's it's palpable for sure yeah. I mean it's, it's definitely something that everybody notices when, when, when they're here what what have you seen change um, 
through spending your time in high school, then going away to college and then coming back and then the time you spent here since then. It's a cool city. Like, I don't feel like it. Granted, I think we're still figuring out our identity, you know, and like what we're going to be known for. Like, I, I, I tell people I live in Charlotte and it takes me 20 minutes to get to North right. Carolina. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite different. It, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, and, and there's parts of North Carolina that I love, but I think Charlotte is so unique inside yeah. of North Carolina yeah. for sure. It is. Yeah. But it's just like. It's his own element. We got the the ball teams, you know. We got the the art scene. Mm-hmm. We got the outdoor scene. We have the baby, right? Right. We do have. The, <laughs> he actually went to my high school, so oh, yeah, yeah, he went wow. to Vance High School, yeah. <laughs> but we do have the baby. But um, we just have this like cool like, and I even feel like we're going through like a renaissance phase where like again, a lot of the like um, younger individual, younger professionals are making this city what mm-hmm. it is. And I feel like we're just, I didn't see that when I was like growing up. It was just like, it was just Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I never felt pride in where I lived. I grew up in the Washington DC suburbs yeah. and nobody, I mean, we took pride in our football team and yeah. we took pride in, I don't know why, but no, yeah. well back then they were good. They were good back then. <laughs> but remember I'm old. I remember a day when we won three Super true, Bowls in true. 12 years, but, but, wow. but like we've been irrelevant since then. And, and, but to me coming down to Charlotte, Charlotte, everybody here, whether you were from Charlotte or you moved to Charlotte, like wanted this, wants the city to do well. There's yeah. just an energy here yeah. that I think is, uh, it's, is pretty unique. And, and maybe it's because we're such a small city and maybe when we get to Atlanta size, we lose our soul, but it's, yeah. it's pretty awesome to yeah. me being here. Yeah. And it's pretty like you, it's pretty small knit. Like yeah. you kind of have these various communities, but everybody kind of knows everybody, you know, yeah. still. It, it, it takes three introductions exactly, to get to yeah. anybody in this yeah, city, maybe yeah. two. Which is cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, talk to me about raising capital. How far along are you in, in that process now? And what do you think your next raise looks like? You don't have to give specific figures, but is this get me through to to some next step or is yeah. it, you know, something else? Yeah, we're um, we just opened up, a um, would say, a small round, but um. Uh, a, a true seed round, you know, because we done the preliminary, like, hey, building a product, we've done all that, the pre-seed. And so we're raising around right now. Um, and uh, again, I talk about relationships, you know, a lot of the angel groups or angel individuals are relationships that have been built over the last few years. And so we're seeing a lot of traction with those individuals. And I want to close this round next next month, you know, okay. or so, um, you know, close it fairly quickly. And that's going to give us enough runway for at least the next year mm-hmm. um, based on how quick we can get to some of these milestones. Because if they happen a little bit quicker, we might need money a little bit quicker. It's a good but, problem to have. Right, right. But I think um, this is going to allow us to really the 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 traction points the the community the brand um just the tangibility side that often doesn't come with the startup we'll be able to prove that with this raise and so um i'm really excited it seems like it's going in the right direction you know people are interested so um you know just continuing to to get the word out there and expand upon that what's what has surprised you most as you've gone out and raised money is it that it's gotten a little easier than you might have assumed or is it that you know what what is what is surprising about the process i I wouldn't say it's easier but i will say i'm more comfortable Mm -hmm. now um and i would i'd say this and a part of it is 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 climate um, and unfortunately, even just going back to the, you know, minority founder conversation, you know, we had to go through like a last year and, and the unfortunate events that took place to where 
I'm at least getting a, a, a look now. I felt yeah. like there were some conversations where, like, literally it's just because who I was. Like, mm-hmm. I would just not be in those doors. And I feel like I'm able to, like, navigate and tackle and get into some conversations now where I probably wouldn't be able to a, a few years back. And so I'm I'm appreciative of that, you know. Um, like, I'm here as a blessing, you know, because of things that have happened. So, like, now I got to be at my optimal space, you know, to, to really um, – take these conversations and take them to the next level. So it's, um, it's interesting because I, I, you know, there were a lot of events last year (laughs) that, that, that changed a lot of things, but, um, there's a company in great Britain that I'm a big fan of, and I'm going to have their head of North America on, on the podcast in in a couple of weeks here. And I was catching up with him and I'm like, how's business going? And he's going through, they own 17 different businesses and he's going through one and he's like, look, and they're not minority owned. I mean, they're a British yeah. British company. And he, he said, look, we decided to pivot this one remote learning platform that we developed. We decided to go all in on diversity and inclusion. And he's like, we, our founders felt like it was a good, a good idea. We just felt like that was the right way to go. We made that decision two years ago and, and we started selling that way. Oh, and wow. he said, once the George Floyd thing happened, he was like, every fortune 500 right, company right, wanted right. to talk yeah. to them. And so yeah. my, my hope is that out of dark events like that, it create creates opportunities when we realize like, okay, let's, let's, we've got to do some things to, to, yeah. to, to, to fix this. So like, again, there's a lot of different events that happen in 2020 that you could be, yeah. could be talking about, but at least there are some, some things coming out of the corrections that needed to happen where, you know, where, 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 where the right, products benefit yeah yeah well you're starting to see a lot of companies i just hope it like matriculates over the next few years to open up space like we even um had an opportunity we uh with a btm out and do um we got to the they had this um real change initiative fund where they had like a bunch of startup founders apply right so mm-hmm. a couple hundred uh i don't remember the exact number a couple a lot of startups yeah. applied and we made it to the final five and so oh, we awesome. were able to um you know, pitch and get connections. Like now I have C-suite connections to those spaces. And so you see a lot of companies starting to do that. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things being a startup and like fighting for capital is it's a lot of it is capital. Like granted, there's things that you, you got to know how to run a business too. Like that's yeah. one thing, but you know, capital is, you know, is really important. And once you have it, you can do things a little bit different. Yep. So Absolutely. So when you look back over the years of thinking about raising money to, to where you are now, what do you wish you knew earlier that now you've learned about raising money? I think just like understanding how to like one, like, yeah, you want to find an investor, but it should also be an investor finding you. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't really understand my value to where I understand it now. And just like, finding the right investor and like making sure that they're bringing value to the table. Cause we used to hear money, money, money and investors had the upper hand. It was just like, nah, we need a, like, is there, can you connect me to strategic partners or are you coming with this? Or are you coming with that? Are you helping connect to other investors? And um, I think, you know, entrepreneurs are getting a little bit smarter and knowing how to tactfully ask questions to really figure out, um, what's coming with the money, you know? And I, I think there's a lot more money chasing, not many more great ideas too. So I think that, yeah, that, yeah. that works to the favor of founders right now yeah. of, of, of all colors and, and creeds. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So when I first got introduced to you, one of the things you were very concerned about was work-life balance. You, you mentioned having a kid since then. How, how has the process of striking the balance as you build this business been for you? I learned you can't balance it. It's just like, so for me, <laughs> I mean, you know, I started to learn that you have to just be present when you're in these spaces. So one of the things that I try to do, I'm not perfect at all, but like as a dad, you know, I'll go through my day. And then, you know, I picked Jonah up from daycare and, you know, when I'm with him, like nothing else should matter. Like yeah. even if I got a million no's today yep. and I'm completely just distraught and upset, like I can't push that on him because he has no clue and he doesn't even care. Yeah. You know, it's the same with like my wife and yep. um, even my family just being present. I, I feel like I used to always like everything was just business and everything yeah. was and I feel like. Now that I'm balancing my mental space, I feel a lot more energetic when I am in, in the business because like I'm, I know I need to channel my energy and put it all in that time and, and not just kind of go throughout. Not saying I don't wake up at three o'clock in the morning and still have to do this and still have to do that. But I think just being present um, in, in various atmospheres and times is something that I've grown in. Yeah, and, and not that I'm the person to give advice. I was asked during a panel right before the pandemic, like, how, how do you go about striking that balance? And I'm like, honestly, I don't do it enough. You know, right, I went right, through right. a divorce in the last year. So, it's, you know, it's it's tough. But I, what, what you said that resonates with me is my thing with my boys. I have two um, younger kids, 8 mm -hmm. and 12. And e even before the divorce, even, um, you know, over the last few years, especially when we were building level and I was really, really busy. Um, I always, my, my Saturday and Sunday was always for them. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I put the phone down. <laughs> right. You're not going to get in touch with me unless I'm bored. I may yeah, pick the yeah. phone up right, and be right, like, right. okay, they, they don't want to hang with me right now. But like my thing was go to Carowinds, go to the pool, yeah. you know, take them there and just immerse myself in them. And you're right. It helps your time at work because you've reached that is recharging your batteries yeah, exactly <laughs> that literally. is the battery exchange yeah. is when you're when you when you get to spend that spend that time with your kids so you guys planning to have more or? um not nah, yeah yeah um so at least another one um uh for some reason i i always wanted like a daughter so i'm gonna try for that if not i'll just get two boys and be fine so <laughs> i have i have three boys my fiance has three boys okay, and, okay, and okay. we have said that if we could guarantee a daughter we would right. have another one but can't yeah <laughs> but you can't guarantee it because yeah. we're, we're not maybe your buddies in china could guarantee it. right right it's a little different there but nah man i mean i i love family i love how like he is the first grandchild on both sides. So he's spoiled, man. It was just like the love that they have. He was able to meet my grandmother, which is his great grandmother, who is 89. You oh, know, wow. She just came to Charlotte to live with my parents. So things like that, like you just want your, your family to be a part of, um, which is crazy. And side note real quick, but I remember my last semester um, in China, you know, I'm on the brinks of building battery exchange and I had a crazy good and well-paid job opportunity out there. And it was just like, man, I, like now that I'm like, I built battery exchange and like, I have this family support for my son. I like it. But then it was just like, man, we'll figure it out. We'll find a, a babysitter or something. But yeah. that, that community and, and building, you know, uh, individual um, and like upbringing them, you know, you need that. And so I got understand it now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a whole different thing. It, it really doesn't compare to anything we, we, we do in, in the business world. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, the, the reality is if you have a son, you're still going to want a daughter. So you may go right, back right, for right. a third after yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, <laughs> I'm good. We, we at least said that we're going to uh, at least like two years okay. increments. Yeah, so we'll try. So it's funny. I had a, a similar but opposite experience. My um, I, I have three boys I mentioned, and my mom had three boys. I'm one of oh, three really? boys. Okay. And so I remember when my mom heard the sex of each baby, she was like, well, you can have another one. You can have another one. <laughs> right, right, right. Keep going. Yeah. And uh, But then luckily my brother had our first, uh, the first daughter in the family, so the granddaughter. And now he's had three. So oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I just remember like that girl is so spoiled because she's the first yeah. girl in the family, just like your son. Yeah, you know, yeah, like you 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 feel that for sure. Yeah, because yeah, like on my side of the family, it's nothing but boys, but hers is nothing but girls. So yeah. they love having a boy. But yeah. for us, we're just like searching for that girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, and and obviously it's cliche, but we all want healthy. But there is something about like all right. I'll, Girl would be cool right, right now. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my fiance has a niece who has a daughter who's two, and, okay, and okay. I, I spoil the shit out yeah, of that yeah, girl yeah, when exactly. I see her. It's just exactly. like, hey, yeah, yeah. That's just how it is, man. That's just <laughs> yeah. how it is. Well, well, look, Desmond, this has been great. Congratulations on all the success. You're one of my favorite young founders in town. I'm definitely pulling for you and hoping to invest soon. Maybe by the time this is published, we'll be able to announce that. Yeah, so. yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right, brother. <laughs> Take care, man. And pleasure, pleasure. All right, cheers. Mm-hmm.